Well, as it was mentioned, uh, Sonny and I have had the privilege of being in ministry. Actually, I began uh, as a young man in ministry back in 1987. And uh, we were at a Bible college in the Binghamton area for about five years before we came into the Christian Missionary Alliance. Didn't know who they were and what they were about until I had the opportunity to do an interim. And we've been with the Alliance now in the Northeastern District for 31 years. And so 24 plus of those years at Valley View Alliance Church in Vestal and seven years with our Northeastern District serving as uh, the assistant to the district superintendent for church advance and for missions mobilization now. And so uh, it's been a great joy to serve alongside Dave Lynn. Of course, this is Dave Lynn's old stomping grounds when he was at English Road Church. And then I went to Savior, Savior's Chapel, and now it's Crosstown. I don't keep up with all the names sometimes, but uh, it has been a real pleasure. So thank you for having me back. One of the greatest compliments is when a church actually calls and says, would you be interested in sharing again? Because you know, then you must have done something pretty good the last time. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called again, right? So thank you for your graciousness. By the way, I'm the type of person when I preach and when I teach, uh, I enjoy some interaction. Now, you can do that just by smiling at me, although with the lights the way they are, I don't know if I can actually see you smiling. Um, but, uh, you know, you can smile, you can put your hand up if, if you do that. Uh, don't want to force you to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Or you can say amen, or uh, you can interact in any way you want because... Uh, we know that the Word of God is interactive. Uh, the Word of God is something that should be speaking to us uh, every time we look at it. I'm going to be sharing with you uh, from Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. And so I guess there's going to be slides behind me. Are there slides today? Oh, well, it's not necessary. Uh, they always ask me to give slides. I'm kind of, I've been in ministry so long, sometimes I don't like slides because I'm a more spontaneous person. And if there's slides, I feel like I've got to follow the slides. And so sometimes uh, I, I, it, it doesn't matter. If you can't do it, don't have to do it. But I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah 29. The reason I chose this passage this morning, one of the most difficult things for me to do is to come to a church and be with you for just uh, 35 minutes maybe, and, and I think to myself, Lord, how can I come when I don't have a relationship, an ongoing relationship with people in a local church, I don't even live in the community, and they ask me to come and take 35 minutes to share the Word of God. There's tremendous uh, 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 pressure to come and say, what am I going to be able to do in 35 minutes that's going to have an impact on their life? Where are they? What are they thinking? Where are they in life right now? And I have to trust the Holy Spirit which we always should do, to take what is being taught, to be what is taken, what is being spoken about, and applying it to our hearts and minds. And so I'm asking you to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. And by the way, the Holy Spirit always preaches a better message than the preacher, okay? And so the preacher will be up here, he'll do what he can do, but the Holy Spirit is going to speak much more clearly and impact you far more than I could ever do 
uh, with the words that I speak. So be in tune to what he's saying. But I had titled this morning's message, Thriving in Adversity. And I'm looking at the first 14 verses of Jeremiah chapter 29. Just a, a quick background of what's happening here. You understand that Jeremiah is a reluctant prophet. Very young. I mean, I've, I've hit that stage in life. Maybe some of you can understand this. For a long time, you're thinking, everybody in the world's older than me. And then something happens, and you go, now everybody in the world is younger than me. So I've hit, that, I've hit that place where now I'm looking and saying, why is everybody so young? Jeremiah was a young person when he was called to be a prophet. We don't know his exact age. He didn't want to be a prophet. God calls him, and he's like, why me? I'm young. And God starts out by telling him, hey, by the way, I'm calling you to be a prophet, and it's going to be miserable. Uh, we all want a call from God like that. So Jeremiah is in the midst of his ministry, the midst of his, his prophetic ministry, and he's going to choose to write a letter to those who have already been exiled. You have to realize that Israel has been taken into captivity. Uh, uh, Jeremiah is in Judah, and Judah is about ready to be taken into captivity as well. And so there is a group of exiles who have been taken away from the, the, the land of Israel, and they're beginning to eke out their existence in Babylon. Uh, they're, they're new there, they're, they're not comfortable there. You have to understand that the people of Israel had a strong connection to the land. They saw the land, the promised land, to be where God dwelled. So to be taken out of the promised land in their minds was to be taken out of the very presence of God. And also in their minds, being in exile, they're thinking, how, how did we go from being in the community of God and in the land of God, and now we're in the midst of the Gentile nations where there is no God of Israel, it's only these pagan gods around us. And so they're, they're, they're confused, they want to go back to the land. Uh, uh, there, there are other prophets who begin to speak in ways where they're not really hearing from God. And so Jeremiah feels compelled to write a letter to those who are in Babylon. And we're going to look at that letter this morning. We're going to look at somebody's personal mail. And we're going to see what they were writing to the exiles in Babylon. Now, Jeremiah's letters are, are warning these exiles against the deception of some of these prophets who are, who are probably meaning well, okay? They're, they're, they're in Babylon, and they're saying, hey, don't worry about this. God has done this over and over again. Remember the history of Israel. We sin. He brings nations to punish us. We repent. He makes everything right again. And they think that this is the pattern. But now they're entering into what a lot of the prophets have spoken about, this exile that's going to last 70 years. And so some of those prophets are saying, hey, you know what? We're going based on what we have experienced or know of the past. And so this will, this will just be a brief time. Uh, in a couple of years, we'll be back in Israel because that's the way God works. And Jeremiah says, that's not what God said. And so Jeremiah feels compelled 
to write a letter to warn the exiles against the deception of those prophets who are trying to say, we'll be back in Israel in no time. And he begins to say, you need to wait patiently for God's timing in these things. God has caused these events because he loves his people. Because he wants them to abandon their sinful ways and to truly seek him with all of their hearts. And so the hardships that they're going to face in Babylon, all the changes they're going to face in Babylon, living in a foreign land, among foreign people, among foreign gods, is really to discipline them and help them understand who God is and the relationship they're supposed to have with him. And only when they come to that point, God realizes when they come to that point, they're going to find true hope and purposeful living, even in captivity. God has great plans for the nation of Israel. But in the midst of realizing those great plans, there's going to be tremendous adversity and God says, I want you to thrive in that adversary. So, Father, as we go into your word today, we are in agreement this morning. We want your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to teach us and to help us understand what you have for us and what you want us to know today that will impact our lives now and in the future for the glory of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. It's interesting as we come to this passage of Scripture, we read in Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. You know, we don't have a word-for-word -word record of Jeremiah's letters. Uh, probably this is something that has been written and, and God intended this to be in the canon of Scripture. Uh, we know this is inspired and so it, it has a purpose for us even today as followers of Jesus Christ. But we don't know what some of the other letters, we know there were more letters, but those weren't put into the canon of Scripture. Uh, so we don't know if Jeremiah was just doing a series of messages, a series of letters, talking about the same thing. But we certainly have what is important for us to understand and know. And we have what was important for the nation of Israel to understand and know, recorded here in, in the record of Jeremiah. And underlying the main letter is the assumption that though he had deported the exiles, God had deported the exiles, Nebuchadnezzar was only an agent of the Lord. And so sometimes in our minds, as we begin to look at adversity, we often give far too much credit to the adversity than we do to God. Does that make sense? We sometimes begin to talk more about the things that are painful, the things that cause suffering, the things that cause anxiousness, the things that call, call, uh, cause hardship, and we give them far more credit than we give our Father in heaven credit. This is a hard thing for the, 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 the captives to understand. You know, in their mind going, God never wanted this. This nation came and did this. God wants us to be back in a couple of years and just to have a happy life back in the, in, in, in the chosen land. 
And Jeremiah starts by saying to them very carefully, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon. Jeremiah starts, do you understand God chose to do this? This was something God chose to do for your benefit. So stop talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. Stop talking about the nation of Babylon and begin focusing on God and why he has brought you into a period of adversity so that you can understand how God even wants you to thrive as you wait out the promise of what he has for you. So ultimately, ultimately, we need to begin by understanding that in this situation and in this circumstance with the nation of Israel, the Lord himself has brought about the exile. He goes on to say in verse 5, build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Oh my goodness. Here's a nation that has put everything to, to living in the promised land, in the presence of God, with an expectation, as long as you are in the promised land, you will receive blessing. That's the, that's the whole thing they understood from the very beginning. We are going from a land that is not ours to a land that is ours, and that's where blessing re resides. And now Jeremiah writes this letter. Here's what God wants you to do. Not keep dwelling on the fact that you're no longer in that promised land, Begin to seek the welfare of the people where you are. This is a foreign concept to them. Absolutely foreign concept to them. Think about it. Much of the prophetic word that came before uh, up to this point is always judgments on the nations around them. And now God is saying, you're in exile. Learn to live in exile. Begin to live as you would live anywhere else. I love the way he says it, you know. Find spouses for your children. It's going to be a while. And then he talks about grandchildren. He talks about multiplying. Do you realize that this is something that is not only something that was written to the exiles back then, it is a truth that even exists today. In Israel, there's approximately 7 million Jewish people who live in the nation of Israel today. Did you know that? No. How many live in the United States? Any idea? 6 million. How many live in New York State? Any idea? 1.75 million. One and three quarter million Jewish people live in New York State. How many live in the city of Rochester or the greater Rochester area? Almost 20,000. Do you see all that? The Jewish people are still dispersed. There are more Jewish people in the United States, almost, than are even in the nation of Israel. Only about 750,000 difference between the two. And, and that, that doesn't even count 
how many Jewish people live worldwide, more live outside of Israel than live in Israel. And many of them have taken to heart exactly what Jeremiah has said in this letter. And that is, pray for the city, prosper the city. Now, there's purpose to that. They, they need to understand that the greater part of wisdom here is not to continually work against where you are, but to pray for it because as where you are living begins to benefit or their welfare increases, so does your welfare. God begins to increase or helps you to thrive even in the midst of captivity and adversity. Some of you are thinking, why are we talking about the nation of Israel? We live in Rochester. I think it's still 2022. It's kind of a blur. But it's still relevant to us today. And although we're not part of the nation of Israel, we are the people of God. If we have surrendered ourselves to Jesus and he has transformed our lives, we live as the body of Christ and we, in, in, in a sense, live in exile. This is not our home. Doesn't Paul talk about that our citizenship is where? In heaven. Our citizenship is with Christ. As a matter of fact, the term Christian, first coined by uh, the church in Antioch, or the people of Antioch, was a political term. Did you know that? You had Herodians, you had whatever. You know, whoever the person is that you wanted to follow polit politically, you took their name and added I-A-N on the end. So Christians became, they were thinking, you're, the, you're of the party of Christ. Meaning you follow Christ. We're Christians. And so, in a sense, we live in exile right now because our citizenship is in heaven and our ultimate promise is the presence of Jesus. Some of us are living in adversity. <laughs> I don't know, maybe all of us. I mean, just if you have a newspaper, if you read it on your pad or wherever you, you get the news, we're, we're living in adversity. Not only from pandemics and endemics and whatever else they're called, not only from an economy that seems to be rough right now, uh, not only from failed relationships and uh, not only from gun violence. I don't know where you stand politically, and that's not, the, that's not the issue. We're living in a place that is not ultimately our home. It is not our destiny. And so we too are being called to thrive in the midst of adversity. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, and speaking to those who were his followers, he says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how, you, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans do that. 
but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so Jesus, talking to his followers and and ultimately to those who will be called the body of Christ, he is saying, you know, it used to be uh, we complained and we were angry and we spoke against everything because we were living in exile and adversity. And he flips that around. And he says, no, you seek the good. You pray for. You need to be different than what you are seeing and hearing around you in your communities and in your culture. In a sense, Jeremiah is saying, you need to understand, you're going to have considerable freedom, nation of Israel, even in your exile. So instead of expecting an early return to your homeland, settle down in Babylon. Work and pray for its peace and prosperity. Influence comes with being a part of where you are. If you withdraw, your influence becomes negligible. And you will not impact that community or that culture at all. Think back to what God said to Abraham. Remember the covenant he made with Abraham? Through the nation of Israel, all people will be blessed. Now, he didn't say how that was going to happen, but this might be part of that. By being in Babylon, they can have influence and even influence for the true God, the God of Israel. So this is unusual advice Jeremiah gives to his exiled countrymen. History shows that in all the centuries of their worldwide dispersions, the Jews, by the way, have tried to follow this pattern. They have identified themselves with the country of their residence. And at the same time, they looked forward and are looking forward to the restoration of the land of Israel. I want to get into whether now Israel as a nation is the fulfillment of a lot of prophecy or not. Well, it certainly isn't because uh, it will be, and I think Jeremiah speaks of this in his prophetic writings here, ultimately that is when Christ returns and sets up his eternal kingdom. Not only will all the Jews be brought back, but then all the nations of the earth will be represented in that wonderful, and I trust, I'm praying anyways, a soon-coming kingdom that's ruled by Jesus. Um, You can say amen to that. I don't know. Um, That's okay. Like I said, I'm an interactive person. You can really let the Holy Spirit get you going on some of these things. But again, as we look to this eventual restoration, as Israel was looking to their eventual restoration to the land of promise, the promised land, We too are looking for something. But Jesus in his high priestly prayer, John 17 says, Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them. Sometimes when Jesus is praying, I'm thinking, Jesus, can't you just say some other? You know, we don't want to hear those parts. We sometimes think because we're followers of Jesus, everybody should love us. But sometimes because we are true to Christ and to his word, people hate us. 
So he says here, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you what? To take them out of the world. How many of us have thought this way before? Just take me to heaven. I can't live in adversity anymore. And Jesus is praying, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Unique in all of the ancient literature that we have was Jeremiah's command for them to pray for their pagan captors. The city referred, could have been Babylon itself or one of the other cities, but wherever they were located, they were to take root and pray and influence that city, that community, that people. As Christians today, do we do that? I, I no longer do social media. I haven't done it for several years now. And I'm better for it. I'm not saying social media is wrong. Uh, but statistically, uh, we have found out. And they've done studies on this. And I don't know why they had to do an official study. I think you just get on it and you realize this that 90% of all comments on any kind of social media platform are negative in nature. Even the ones that are phrased in a positive way. You know, for instance, you're not as ugly as you used to be. You know, something of that nature. You know, it's like, oh, this is a compliment. You're not as ugly as you used to be. So, so again, somebody might try to say something positive, but it comes out in a negative way. And so I chose not to be on it anymore because I don't need to think negatively. I had enough of that in my life growing up as a child and so forth and uh, as a teenager. And I, 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 want, I want to start with a posture of loving and praying and encouraging the people around me and thriving in adversity rather than dwelling on my adversity. I'm not telling you what to do, okay? I'm just telling you what I needed to do in my life. And so I pray for our leadership and government. Why? Because I agree with everything that our governmental leaders decide, no matter what party they're with? Absolutely not. But my prayer often is, God, you chose to have me dwell here. And if I pray for the welfare of my leadership, I am praying for the welfare of your church. Paul expresses that in the book of Romans as well. Well, there's a second thing I want you to see. So not only are we to really uh, settle down and uh, seek the welfare of the city we live in, 
But God has a unique plan for the nation of Israel. He says here in verse 10, Jeremiah 29, 10, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and to hope. I, I know a lot of Christians who love this verse, but they apply it in an incorrect way. <laughs> Did I just ruin this for you? Um, we, we have to understand that a lot of times I see Christians who grab this and say, especially verse 11, God doesn't want us to experience disaster. God doesn't want us to experience adversity, and that's wrong. As a matter of fact, God is saying to the nation in the midst of great adversity, they've been dragged away from their homeland, they're in Babylon, they're not at the temple, which was an important part of their life and culture, they are going to suffer because of their sin, and God says in the midst of that, I'm not changing those circumstances. But, I know the plans I have for you. And in about 70 years, that's going to be realized, which means the people who are reading the letter now are not going to experience this. It's going to be their children and grandchildren who experience this. And so he says, you're going to die in your adversity, so to speak. But the promise remains. And so as we look at this verse in context... Jeremiah presents this beautiful prophecy that is an encouragement that looks towards a future that might not be ours here, but we can be assured of. We can be assured of. The Lord's ultimate purpose for his people is a, a purpose of blessing. And so this exile length of uh, 70 years, by the way, think of this. In 70, 70 years, Babylon will no longer be in power. And so they're settling down in these cities and they're told to seek the welfare. And Jeremiah is seeing forward that even the governmental power that has taken them, they're going to be gone. And the Medes and Persians are going to be in charge. Wow. I don't know what 70 years is. I'm, I'm getting very close to knowing what 70 years is. Um, but I haven't hit 70 years. Some of you may have hit 70 years who are here today. So you can think 70 years. But that's more than a couple of generations. And so it's going to be more than a couple of generations before the promise is fully realized. And the promise is to Israel that you will be back in Judah. You will be back in Israel Moreover, the Lord assures them that despite their surmise as to his lack of concern for their plight, he has not forgotten them. Regardless of appearances to the contrary, the Lord was not denying them hope for the future. It would not be realized immediately, or even in the near future, by the way. And so Jeremiah's words, hope and a future, are literally a hopeful end. And so Jeremiah writes a letter and says, you're in adversity right now. Got that? And by the way, Jeremiah is going to be thrown in a pit 
He is going to be given bread and water. He's going to be threatened with death. Jeremiah is an adversity himself, and that's from his own people. That's from those who say, we don't like what you're saying. Because he's also saying to the nation of Judah, by the way, you're joining Israel very soon. And we know that that happens even in Jeremiah's lifetime. But Jeremiah is reminding them very clearly that even in the midst of all this stuff that is happening, that is beyond your imagination, that is creating great adversity in your life, there is a hopeful end. And I'm telling you today, Christian, we have that as well from our Heavenly Father. We're living in a world that sometimes is very challenging to us and does bring adversity. Would you agree? But we have a hopeful end. And either by death, if you have settled that question of your faith in Jesus Christ, either in death we will be in the presence of God, or he's, Christ is going to return. And he's, I'd like to say, he's going he's to settle all the foolishness of the world, put everything to right, and rule as king. That's our hopeful end, isn't it? And so I'm telling you right now, you can have hope that God will give you strength. He will be present. And this is what the nation had to understand. Even in exile, by settling down, they're still to worship. They're still to, to, to uh, uh, pursue a relationship with the God of Israel and everything. What, what Jeremiah is saying, you don't have to be in Israel. You don't have to be in Jerusalem to be able to experience the presence of God. God will be present with you even in exile. This is something that was a foreign concept, and he's trying to say, settle down, because that moves us on to what he's saying finally here this morning. Seek God with all your heart. How can I seek God when from the very beginning God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem? Well, I think God was getting the nation of Israel to realize he's a little bit bigger than just being in a place, a temple in Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah begins to say, you can seek God even in the midst of exile. No amens, huh? Tough crowd. Verse 12 says, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me, wholeheartedly is the term that's used here. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. The remainder of, of the letter stresses the nature of, of the hopeful future. The Lord says that he can and will be entreated or he can, he will listen, he will come to and be present in the life of the exiles. The promises, however, and, and we see this throughout the Old Testament in relationship to the nation of Israel, we see what is talked about about conditional promises but they're all based upon the eternal covenant made with Abraham. 
and the, the contingent promises. If you seek me with a wholehearted repentance, if you have a change of heart, a change of mind. By the way, this was the pattern that they have seen historically. You, you do know that. I mean, read the book of Judges. Things are bad. Seek God. Things are good. Leave God. Things are bad. Seek God. Things are good. I mean, you go through the book of Judges and you, you get exhausted. And, and we have the benefit of seeing a lot of history comprised in a little, little book there. But it's like, oh my goodness, how soon do you forget? And he says once again through Jeremiah, seek me with your whole heart. This is one of those conditional covenant, conditional promises. Seek me with your whole heart because I have made a covenant with you. You are my people and I will restore you. And then in verse 14, he says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. Again, this is some verses sometimes that we, we take a little bit out of context because Jeremiah is writing to them and said, this is what God has said clearly about the captivity, about the exile. There's going to be 70 years. You're going to go through adversity, settle down, learn to live somewhere else for 70 years, but there is this eternal promise that if you seek God with your whole heart, you'll find him during that time of captivity. You'll find him during that time of exile. And eventually he will bring you, according to his promise, back to Judah. And you will be able to worship him again. Where? In Jerusalem. The place that has a very special, special place in your heart. The declaration, I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land, looks far beyond the Jews' return from Babylon. It looks to future generations. And so when they returned from exile, everyone didn't go back. You, you realize that, right? As a matter of fact, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah and all those things, they were looking for volunteers. Who wants, who wants to go back? Who, who wants to go back to Judah? Oh, oh by the way, it's, it, it's really a mess. There's really no economic base there anymore. Uh, it, it's inhabited by people who are not people of Israel, by the way. Uh, um, and, 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 you know, uh, not a lot of money and resources. How many of you want to come? Because now, 70 years later, when they return, they have settled so well in the cities they were in. They're, they're business people. They have livings and stuff. And a lot of them went, ooh, this, wow. Hmm. Do I leave to go back? And so we have to think differently. Those who sought God with their whole heart are going to stand up and say, I will go back. And I will, I will obey God and do what God has for me to do. All right, Dave, what does this mean for us? <laughs> We're sitting in an uh, auditorium in a church. 
building. Uh, I, I don't want to offend anybody. You're the sanctuary, so that's why I said auditorium. Uh, by the way, you know when you all get up and walk out of here, the church goes out of here. This is a building. Uh, we don't want it to disappear, but if it disappeared tomorrow, the church remains. And so what do we want as the church? Sometimes we're thinking, okay, Dave, okay, that's Israel. Well, we see very clearly that God has called us that in this life of adversity, we are to seek the welfare of our city. So number one, how are you seeking the welfare of the greater Rochester area? Are you only seeking your welfare? Because if you're only seeking your welfare, you're missing what God has said about being not of the world, but in the world. How are you seeking the welfare of the person you work next to or go to school next to or live next to? How are you seeking the welfare of the people you have contact with? How are you as the body of Christ that meets here at Trinity Alliance Church seeking the welfare of greater Rochester? But not only that, how are you as the people who gather here at Trinity Alliance Church, how are you looking forward and living in the promise uh, of what God has made that this life is not all there is. We are foreigners in a strange land right now. We are citizens of heaven. Are you living in the promise that God will keep where he says, I will establish my kingdom forever? And those of you who by faith have trusted in Jesus will be part of that kingdom. But not only that, how are you seeking God with all your heart today? You know, the book of Proverbs chapter 4 tells us this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I love that. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So when we seek God with all our heart, we endeavor to hear God speak to us and live according to that. So when we are in the world and not of the world, it means that we live among people who are experiencing a lot of things. And we don't enter into those experiences in the sense, oh, hey, we want to participate in those. But we live in the midst of this great adversity in such a way that people look at us and begin to say there is a different kind of life that's being lived, even in this place right now. As a matter of fact, Paul when he writes to the church in Colossae, and in, in August, I'm, I'm spending four weeks at a church that's going through some, some struggles and speaking for four weeks uh, out, out of uh, the book of Philemon, which is another personal letter. Seems like lately I've been reading everybody else's mail. And so I'm going to teach out of that, but Philemon was part of the church of Colossae. And so he would have understood the book of Colossians or the letter to the church at Col of, of Colossae, the, what we call Colossians in our English Bible. And Paul says in this, this letter to the church at Colossae, verse 
or chapter 3, he says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. And so how do we really seek God with all our, our, our heart, with our whole heart? Well, when we work, we work very hard focusing on Christ as we impact the people around us. And then Paul in chapter 4 goes on to say, devote yourselves to prayer. Okay, what did he say to the captives? Seek the welfare of the city, which is, he actually tells them to pray for the city. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he says, live wisely. Uh, you probably have heard the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. It just doesn't go. Some of you didn't get that, but you'll, you know, this afternoon, maybe over dinner or something, you'll finally laugh at that. But uh, uh, it, there, there's a difference between knowing something. Knowing is, is, is learning. Knowledge is being able to apply it in the context you find yourself. And so Paul says, live wisely. Take the truth and apply it to the way you are living among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So I challenge you this morning. <laughs> Number one, seek the welfare of your city. Seek the welfare of your city. And as you seek the welfare of your city, understand that God is working out a plan. And that plan will come to fruition. God has said it. It will be done. Right? God said it. It will be done. So seek the welfare of your city as you see God unfold his unique plan for those of us who are followers of Jesus. But in the midst, don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't get caught up in, in the adversity. And, and I would even say sometimes, don't get caught up in the battle about the things around you. Rather, seek God with all your heart so that you will have that impact as you live wisely among the people who are in captivity. As you live wisely to the community that's imprisoned so that Christ is exalted. You are attractive people because God tells us that Jesus attracts. And if Jesus is living in you, you are attractive people. Paul said it this way. 
You are the fragrance of Christ. As I pray, let me ask you a question. Do you smell like Jesus? Do you smell like Jesus? Because the world, they need that smell. <laughs> they need that attraction about them. So, Father, I don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to apply this to individuals uh, in this, uh, this uh, uh, church here at uh, uh, Trinity in Rochester. I don't, I don't know what you're convincing people of right now. Holy Spirit, uh, you're going to continue to preach to them. You're going to continue to teach them. You're going to continue to talk to them uh, about uh, the things you want them to know right now, the way you want them to be impacted right now by your word. Uh, my prayer is that we listen. I know you'll talk to me about many of these things. Uh, Father, will I, will I seek you as I continue to live in a world of adversity? Uh, as, will I continue to seek you as I am a sojourner and really am not in that land of promise right now? Uh, Father, will I uh, be wise in the way I live before others, taking the knowledge of the Word of God and what you have taught us? And will I be able to apply it to my life in such a way that it is wisdom? And, and, and will I use wisdom in taking every opportunity, make, make good use of every opportunity to live Jesus? before a wanting world. And so I pray for this congregation that you will help them be the fragrance of Jesus, not, not just around this church building, but in every context you have placed them, that people will be attracted to Jesus because of their fragrance. I pray this for the sake of your name. Amen.